Well, we are in our final week of our series going through the book of Jonah. And so who would have thought that we would be spending eight weeks on this uh, little story of Jonah? Um, I certainly did not think I would be using the word vomit uh, this many times uh, from the stage uh, preaching through a series. Uh, We've been talking a lot about vomit um, as far as Jonah being vomited out onto dry land. And so hopefully um, our next series will uh, have uh, less of that digestive system going on in it. Um, But the story of Jonah appears to be this pretty simple story, right? So we've talked about it being uh, this childhood story that we've been familiar with. But but as we go through it and and dig into it, uh, there's a lot more going on here. It gives us this complex image of God. Uh, God is not just a a simple, one-dimensional character in the story of Jonah. And Jonah is not this simple, one-dimensional character either. There is the, there's this great complexity of, of these characters, and, and specifically this interaction between God and Jonah. The mercy and love of God leads us to, to some pretty significant and incredible conclusions about how we live our lives as followers of Jesus, how we live our lives in the world around us, how we view others in the world around us. And so remember, Jonah is this prophet of God. He's called to go to Nineveh, this this wicked city. And instead of obeying God, Jonah runs the other direction, gets on a boat, and is, is headed in the opposite way. And God sends this great storm to confront Jonah. And in this great storm, the fellow sailors are trying to figure out what the cause of the storm is. They identify that it is Jonah and his disobedience to his God. And so they conclude that they need to throw him overboard at Jonah's suggestion. And as soon as he's thrown into the water, the storm is calm. But now Jonah is in the water sinking. And so God again provides and sends a fish to swallow up Jonah. And in the belly of this fish that houses Jonah for three days, Jonah prays this prayer, the song of thanksgiving. Can we be thankful inside the belly of a fish? And then he vomits him up to the dry land, and that's the last use of the word vomit uh, for the day. He's on dry land and again is called to go to Nineveh, and this time Jonah says, okay, okay, I get the point, and he goes to Nineveh. He, he heads to, to Nineveh to preach this sermon, to, to share the message of God with the Ninevites. And he's on his first day of preaching, of a three-day preaching circuit. And, and, and this is his sermon. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Uh, this message of doom and gloom. Forty more days and the city will be overturned. But remember, in these, this word overturned, in this message that seems like a message of destruction, there is also this built-in message that, that can be turned around, overturned, There's this message of hope in it. Because with this message of destruction, there's also opportunity for repentance, and things will be turned around. There's hope for God's mercy. And so those who hear this message, they believe, and the whole city believes, even the king believes, and there is this citywide fast and this citywide repentance. What a successful day of preaching. And so because of their repentance, 
because of their overturning, God relents. God himself overturns his message of destruction. And now there's a message of mercy and compassion. God extends his compassion to the Ninevites. He chooses not to destroy them. As we talked about last week, this does not go over well for Jonah. Jonah, who should be celebrating this repentance, this overturning. Instead, Jonah is angry at God, and so he goes outside of the city and sits outside of the city and looks at the city, waiting for God to still come through on his judgments, on his wrath, on his destruction of the city. And so that's where we left it last week. Jonah is out here sitting angry, upset that God's compassion has been extended to his enemies. And so now we continue in chapter 4, starting in verse 4. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He's still holding out for the wrath of God. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plants. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plants so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed down on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plants? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than, more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. So this is the end of the story of Jonah. This is a weird episode, right? We've got this, this fast-growing plant that's providing shade. We've got this worm that apparently has a really hearty appetite um, and can eat through this plant in a very quick way. It withers. Then there's this, this sun that comes in and this wind that comes in, and, and now he's miserable yet again. I mean, this is just an interesting final scene to a very bizarre story to start with, right? Right? And so what is going on here? Because this is the end of the story. This is how the book concludes. Those are the final verses. Like, what is going on here? As we look at the story of Jonah, we see that Jonah had experienced the grace of God, right? He had been housed in the stomach of a fish, and, and he came out of that experience changed in a new direction, right? Right? He, he came through this experience of, of God's grace, and he obeyed God's call to now go to Nineveh. 
Jonah had experienced the grace of God. And his life was changed because of it. And so now he is preaching a message of destruction, but God does not destroy. He extends mercy instead. Jonah had accepted the mercy of God, right, in the belly of the fish. He'll take the mercy, but now he's not willing to extend that same mercy to the Ninevites. He was unwilling for that same mercy to be applied to his enemies. But God is still patient with him. God is still working with him. God doesn't write him off. Instead of sending him off into another violent storm, this time God extends this very gentle question. Is it right for you to be angry? There's a little bit of this therapist moment, right? Where God is sitting there, Jonah, really? Is it right for you to be this angry? Well, of course, Jonah is completely justified in his anger in his mind. And so he lashes out at at all the reasons why it is okay for him to be angry. But God continues to work with them, continues to, to guide Jonah through this, even though Jonah isn't getting it. Because there's still this self-righteousness in Jonah that that needs to be dealt with. The sense that he's got it figured out and, and he is one above and head above those around him. And as we talked about last week, there's still this deeper understanding of, of God's grace that Jonah needs to journey through. He still has to get ra- down to that bedrock of God's grace. And so Jonah goes outside of the city and pouts. He goes outside of the city and fumes out there. He builds up this little temporary shelter just to get some shade, and he's just sitting there waiting and watching, right? sitting under this shade, waiting for God to do the right thing in his minds. And so God looks at Jonah and once again has compassion on him, and he causes this plant to grow up, to provide Jonah the shade that he really needs. Now this, of all things that we've seen through this story, this makes Jonah very happy. He's pleased with this plant that is providing him such great shade. You can almost hear Jonah saying something like, finally, something's going right for once. Finally, something's going my way. Finally, God is doing something to help me. Never mind that whole fish incident. But the good times don't last, and so God sends this worm to come in and really destroy this plant, and then sends these brutal hot winds to come through and, and really upset Jonah now. Now Jonah is beside himself. He's angry enough to die. But this has all been set up so God can provide this one last speech, this one last interaction with Jonah, this one last opportunity to try to help him find the bedrock of grace that he needs to find. God says that, that Jonah had concern for this plant. He has concern for this plant and then asks if God should not be concerned for Nineveh. Here we have 
Jonah, who's more concerned about the plants and the condition of the plants than he is about Nineveh and the condition of Nineveh. It's this great city, something much more significant than just a plant. And here God is calling, out, calling him out, saying, you have concern for this, but not concern for the residents of Nineveh, not concerned for these people. And the word concern here in the NIV, and most of the translations we're reading, this word concern has this same idea of the, of the word compassion. Concern is this deep care for, the, 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 the grief over something, or to have a heart that's broken over something, to, to weep for something. This is the idea of concern. And it's also translated into the word compassion. And so God is saying, you have compassion to this plant. You weep for this plant. Your heart is broken for this plant. But you're not extending that to Nineveh. You wept over the plants. But you need to weep over the people. God has been extending compassion to Jonah. He's been extending compassion to the Ninevites. And he grieves over the Ninevites. He, he grieves over them. He, his heart is broken for them. He, he weeps for them. God weeps over the evil in the world. God's heart is broken over the evil in the world. Over the lostness of Nineveh. And so, so God is distressed here. God is distressed at the evil that he sees. In Genesis 6, 6, God looked down on the evil of the world and he was deeply troubled. He's troubled by the evil that he sees in the world. When God looks at the Ninevites, he not only is, is compassionate, but his, his compassion is incredibly generous as well. Because look at the way that, that Jonah is, or the way that God is referring to the Ninevites now. There's this generousness in his language. God is comparing Jonah's concern for the plant with God's concern for people, but he refers to the Ninevites as this. He says, more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left hand from their right hand, or right hand from their left hand. This is how he describes the Ninevites, right? In chapter 1, he described them as wicked, as, as an evil city. But now he's saying in a very generous way that they just really don't know their right hand from their left hands. He's giving this picture of the Ninevites in a, in a pretty open way. It's an incredibly generous view of the Ninevites, and so this is a figure of speech that means that they are spiritually blind, that they've lost their way, that, that they don't have a clue as to the source of their problems or, or what to do about them. And so he's saying, these people are spiritually blind. He's not calling them wicked. He's not, he's not labeling them. He's not judging them. There's this sympathetic reference to them, right? That, that they're lost. They're confused. They're misguided. They don't know what is correct. This is 
the kind of sympathy and understanding that's extended to them. Now, there are many people who are lost in this world, right? People who do not know their way, people who are spiritually blind, people who do not have a clue as to the the source of, of meaning in their lives. And so when we look at lost people in the world around us, do we look at people and and, or how do we look at people who are lost? God doesn't look at people that are lost and say, you idiots. He doesn't look at those that are lost and, and look down upon them. He doesn't look at them and, and criticize. And so how do we look at people around us? When, when we see people that have brought trouble on themselves and, and, and have brought difficulty on their lives by the poor decisions that they've made, do we say something like, serves them right? When we see somebody in destructive patterns in their lives, do we, do we mock them and criticize them? When we, see that are, when we see people that are maybe on the other side of the political spectrum of us and they lose, Do we gloat in that? Do we celebrate in that? When we see somebody that we disagree with and they fail, do we have a sense of satisfaction in that? Do we enjoy their failure? These are all ways that we detach ourselves from others. And in that detachment from others, we dehumanize them. God is not dehumanizing the Ninevites here. But we tend to detach ourselves, to distance ourselves. And sometimes it's out of pride because we want to be the ones that are right. Sometimes it's because we don't want to join in their experience of unhappiness. We don't want to participate in their suffering. But compassion is a completely different posture. Compassion is not detachment from others. Compassion is a voluntary attachment to others. Attaching ourselves to the situation of others. Attaching ourselves to the difficulties of others. Compassion attaches us and joins in their humanness, joins in their experiences. And this is the posture of God. He he chooses to attach himself voluntarily to the Ninevites. Because he's deeply troubled by their state. He grieves over them. He hurts for them. These are words of attachment, not detachment. These are words that humanize the Ninevites, not dehumanize them. And Jonah stands in stark contrast to the posture of God. Jonah's posture is inhuman, dehumanizing, detaching from the Ninevites. He separates himself from them. And so God is incredibly generous. God does not have to be attached, but he chooses to be attached to the Ninevites. When we think about the generous gift of God, we go directly to remembering Jesus. This posture of compassion, this posture of, this posture of connectedness, this posture that humanizes us and attaches himself to us. 
God tells Jonah that he is weeping and grieving over the city, but asks, why aren't you? Why aren't you grieving over the city? Why aren't you weeping over the city? If you were my prophet, Jonah, then you would share my compassion with others. You would extend that to others. And so Jesus comes, and we see Jesus as the true prophet that Jonah could not be. Fully embracing this call to share compassion with others. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem the last week of his life. And he knew what was coming. He knew the suffering that would take place. He knew what he would be enduring. And he's riding into Jerusalem. And he's not absorbed with self-pity. He's not pointing out the faults in others. Instead, as he approaches Jerusalem, he weeps for it. He weeps for the city. He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus is weeping for the city. He is in this generous posture of compassion to Jerusalem, knowing what was to come. And then even as, as Jesus is on the cross, he prays this prayer, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Even on the cross, even having endured the accusations, enduring the trial, enduring the crucifixion, he's in this place of suffering, and his prayer is for others. Mercy for others, compassion for others. He's not comparing himself for, to, to those who were accusing him. He's not judging them. He's not pointing out the evil that is taking place. He's not complaining about the physical or emotional or spiritual pain that he's experiencing. Instead, he is demonstrating this perfect, generous love. And he, he says they, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Sounds a lot like the weeping God of Jonah chapter 4. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know their right hand from the left hand. They are spiritually blind. They are lost. They don't have a clue. About 100 years ago, there was a theologian um, named B.B. Warfeld who studied the emotional life of Jesus. And in, a, in an article that he wrote, he, he looked at all the references to Jesus' emotions in the Gospels. And his conclusion through this study was that the typical statement of Jesus' emotional state was he was moved with compassion. More than any other emotion that is described of Jesus, he was moved with compassion. He said that the Bible records Jesus weeping 20 times to every one time that it mentions that Jesus is laughing. There's this picture that Jesus is moved with compassion. And it wasn't that Jesus was this sad and depressed guy. It wasn't that he, he moved around in, in this dark cloud. He, he grieved more than he laughed because he had compassion on the people. Because his compassion connected him with others, connected him with us. 
And so our sadness makes him sad. Our pain makes brings him pain. Jesus joins us in our humanness, connects with us, attaches himself willingly to us. In John chapter 1, we see that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And so this word dwelling here literally means tabernacled. He tabernacled himself with us. He dwelled with us. And the image of the tabernacle takes us back to Moses, takes us to Exodus 33, where where Moses is, is wanting and asking to see God's glory. But God says, if I show you my glory, if you see me, that is going to be a fatal situation. You're going to drop dead if you see my full glory. But God says, but God, but God shelters Moses into this cleft of this rock and, 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 and passes his goodness before Moses, giving glimpses of what, what he could handle in who God is. And then in the next chapter, God does show himself fully to Moses. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. So God shows Moses his glory. And in this glory, it is revealed, God's goodness is revealed. God's compassion is revealed. But also in the same moment, God's justice is revealed. That God can be both compassionate, he can also be committed to punishing evil. He says that, that here is his goodness, and it is infinitely loving. Here is his goodness that at the same time is infinitely just. Both of these two coexist in God's goodness, in God's glory. And so now God's glory, this is God's glory that we see displayed in Christ. That through Jesus now we see God's full glory, his full goodness, his full compassion. Through Jesus, we see all the goodness of God that Moses wasn't able to see, that Moses wasn't allowed to see. And so in Jesus, we see someone who who does not just weep for us. He weeps for us, but even more than that, in the ultimate act of compassion, he dies for us. Jonah went outside the city, hoping to see destruction come on the city. But Jesus went outside of the city, went to the cross, died on the cross to bring salvation to the city. And it's on the cross that God destroys evil and brings salvation. 
Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so, that, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Jonah never was able to receive the answer about how God can be both gracious and just. But he does receive grace upon grace. God does not just accept Jonah and leave him there. He doesn't just abandon him alone. He continues to pursue him. He continues to draw him deeper into his grace. And so he sends a storm. He sends a fish. He sends a plant. He commissions him over and over, patiently engaging with him in debates and conversations. And so we see both God's mercy and his justice and how he treats Jonah he continues to, to overturn Jonah, drawing him deeper and deeper into his grace. And that's where the story of Jonah ends. We don't see Jonah's response. There is just this cliffhanger ending. The entire story has been God pursuing Jonah and interacting with Jonah, and drawing Jonah in. And God poses this final question. He says, you don't want me to have compassion on Nineveh, but shouldn't I? You don't want me to have compassion on Nineveh, but, but I should, right? In light of all that I've shown you, Jonah, in light of the grace that's been extended to you, should I not love this city as well? And more importantly, should you not join me in the love of this city? In the compassion extended to this city? And so the book ends here with no answer. Jonah doesn't have an opportunity to respond. Not one that's recorded. And so in this cliffhanger, it forces us to think about our own lives, to think about our own responses to this same question. How do we conclude the story? How do we continue to write the paragraphs that conclude this narrative? We're invited into this story, answering this same question. In light of everything that God has shown you, in light of all the grace that he has extended us, in light of all of that, should God not love this city? And should you join him in light of everything that God has done for us? Who deserves God's love? Did any of you deserve it? Did I deserve it? Yet in light of everything that God has done for us, we're called to join with him in the love of this city, in the love of those who are lost, love for the world, love for others. And so through the book of Jonah, we have seen the mercy of God a 
applied over and over and over. Not just for our own benefit, but to invite us in to participate as well. That we finish this story by walking back into the city, not sitting on the fringes, walking back into the city and extending the compassion and mercy and love of God to all those that we encounter. 